I'm going to talk to you about the fundamentals of psychotherapy. Um, so I'll get started. We're work, mostly working with a population with serious mental illness. Is that correct for everyone? Okay. Um, so there is this conception that medication is the first line treatment for SMI. And what we actually find is that uh, psychotherapy can be really helpful with medication adherence. And specifically, motivational interviewing can be helpful in that sense. But also that the relationship between medication and psychotherapy is two ways. That medication can also make it easier for individuals to engage in psychotherapy, which can then help them live fuller, better lives. Um, the third piece of this, which is not up here and we won't talk about today, is family work, which is another area of research that has been shown to be very helpful with individuals with SMI. And so before we kind of get into what, how to do psychotherapy, um, it is useful to think about what are some barriers to engaging in psychotherapy? What are some conceptions that individuals might come into our rooms with? Um, so if you can give me some ideas of why might an individual shy away from engaging in psychotherapy? Stigma, yeah, that's the big one. We heard this idea that if psychotherapy is helpful, then I should have been able to fix it on my own. Like medication, oh, it means there was something I couldn't do, it was something outside of myself. But psychotherapy, someone just talking to me, well then I guess I could have thought differently or acted differently or thought about it myself. And so that can be a really shaming process as well. So the reason I'm going over these things is just recognizing that when they do walk in our doors, that they're carrying a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And especially I feel like in the field of social work, you have things you need to get done. I feel like as Therapists, our work is a little bit less goal-oriented. I feel like the time pressure is really on social workers to move, move, move. And sometimes we forget that they're coming in with so many things, and they might just need a minute to build rapport, build a relationship, and unpack those things first. And it also goes in terms of us. We also have some ideas when um, patients walk in through the door. Mention a bunch of stuff. Fear, what do I do? Where do I start? Um, is this is psychotherapy really going to be the thing that's helpful? They seem really severe. What are some other things that get in the way of us providing psychotherapy? Yeah. And we're like, not again. Yeah. Having had bad experiences the last time you tried. Maybe you really, I, I, I feel like everyone has this one individual that they spent a lot of effort on, like really put themselves out there, really push themselves out there, and then it still might not have worked out. And bouncing back from that can be really hard, especially if you're someone as a provider who generally wants to do well and wants to help and wants to care, and you might think, well, I didn't do a good enough job, I need to do more, I need to do things differently, or rather, I need to do less. Those are all things that we bring in the room as well. And the consequences of that, the consequences of not touching on the hard stuff or not engaging with our patients is that um, these are really isolated individuals oftentimes, and so um, interacting with us is one of, might be one of their main forms of interaction. Um, and so they might lose out on that human connection that we might have given if we weren't burned out or didn't read their background story um, or felt like we had a better handle on what to do when they walk in the room. Uh, the other sense that I got, especially with social work, is that um, you have a lot of crises on your hands, and sometimes, like you can, you know how to handle the crisis. You know how to get 
where they need to go. Um, but when patients are doing a little bit better and there's more free time, then what does the conversation look like? What are you doing then? So today's talk is really going to be using um, skills from motivational interviewing as well as cognitive therapy. I'm hoping everyone in here has heard about both, but I will give just a general basic review and then we'll spend most of the time practicing it. I'll also list examples of when you've had a hard time using one or the other and um, what you need help with that. But just to make sure, is everyone in here familiar with motivational interviewing? Okay, so I'll try to go over that quickly and rather go more on the examples of what to do. The reason I chose these two um, actually is because they have really solid evidence base to work with serious mental illness. Specifically, I think the one that people are the most suspect about is schizophrenia, and so both of them have good evidence base for that. Um, that's why also the CBT manual that I have up here is specifically for schizophrenia. I find that that's a really hard uh, population to work with. Okay, so um, what is motivational interviewing? It's just trying to get change, trying to get change um, to happen, right? That's what we think about motivational interviewing. What we forget is we're really trying to connect with the patient first and foremost. Figuring out what they want to change rather than what we've read and what we think they need to do based on what's worked in the past. Um, and so in motivational interviewing, you really want to work with what they want to change. And so they might come in with something like wanting to change housing. It might not be on board with what you're able to do or what you're able to change. And so you might want to figure out underneath that, is there other things that we can change about the situation to get them on board? The key here is staying on the housing topic and engaging in that topic because that's what's bringing them in. That's what they're motivated for. Even if you're looking at things and you're like, ooh, they also have medication adherence issues and they have this other issue and that other issue, we're really sticking with what they're starting with and then you can take it from there if you want to. Uh, the, there's an Instagram icon here. I don't know if it's really uh, from Instagram or where it is, but there is this really important aspect to motivational interviewing, to cognitive therapy, actually to dialectical behavioral therapy as well as acceptance and commitment therapy, which is that you are doing the best you right now and you can be doing better. So really helping them to accept and validate for them that they're trying their hardest. This is their best. And then keeping in your own mind, I wouldn't say it out loud, but this idea that you want to help them get somewhere else at the same time. Okay, so the MI spirit, the tenets of MI, if MI were a religion, um, would be these four factors. So collaboration, really working with the patient to come up with ideas of things. And in the collaboration, your partners. Do I think about myself as a partner every day when I'm working with individuals? Not really, okay? So uh, if you do use motivational interviewing and you're already familiar with it, I do think this is really helpful because me making these slides reminded me to check in with myself about where I am about this. Am I doing the best that I can to collaborate every day? And I think it's useful to do this in our practice every once in a while, no matter how comfortable you feel with these things. So I'll give you an example. When I first started out, I was very good about um, moving my chair to be kind of um, close to the person I'm working with, or kind of on the same line or in front of each other, really being equal in physical proximity. 
as I've continued to work, it's easier for me to type while I'm talking. So I've turned to be behind my desk, the individual's on the other side of the desk. It creates this kind of power dynamic, but it comes from time management and just ease. And, um, so now I've worked on swiveling my chair, lowering it so that it's at the same level as a chair that they're sitting in so we can be more partners, even just physically. I love that idea of you're in someone's house, um, maybe you can, instead of just standing there because you don't know what to say, maybe you can ask permission. Where would you like me to sit? That's really a partnership. Instead of finding a place that you feel comfortable, asking them and then sitting there. Might be uncomfortable. That's where it is. So acceptance. Um, acceptance of their autonomy. That they are autonomous individuals and they have their own um, path to life. And all we can do is really guide them along this path. Um, also, difficult when you have somebody saying, I don't actually, I've heard a lot with, I don't want any housing, I just want to be in the streets. Um, we've had like conversations around that in terms of, well, is that, is something else going on? Is that really um, them wanting to be autonomous or would they prefer to have their own safe space? What they're really asking for is like a safe, safe environment. Um, so evocation is evoking from them what they want, believing that they have the wisdom and we're just here to tap into it and guide them to it. And then being compassionate, um, and then being willing to um, do what we ask our patients to do, which is to be vulnerable and share it with someone else. And then there's tons of things you can do. Um, you can work on self-care, and you can do your best. Sometimes also, it just doesn't click, and you know, I'm not here to put anybody down. This is a profession, it's a hard job, and you just gotta try your best. Okay, so of course, so those were the tenets of MI, like if it was a religion, those are the four commandments. Um, and the core skills are, the or skills are things to help you actually engage in that. So the first one being using open-ended questions. This is really to get information from them. So closed-ended being yes, no. Open-ended being actually engaging with some. So I have some ideas, some examples of open-ended questions here. Um, if you use MI, take a second and think about when was the last time you asked them, how can I help you with X? When was the last time you asked them, help me understand Y? When was the last time you asked them, how would you like things to be different? Or what are the good things about X? Or what are the bad things about Y? What will you lose if you give this up? Or what do you want to do next? So just taking a moment to assess these things. Why might we add clo ask closed-ended questions? Because there's definitely an urge to do that. Or when is it appropriate to ask closed-ended questions? Yeah, so you might feel like to gather specific information, you might need to ask closed-ended questions, so questions that can be answered with yes or no. Um, but actually, if you're gathering facts, you can probably still ask them in an open way. Um, in terms of like, tell me about whatever the topic is that you want to hear more about, right? Um, although I do think that the reason we often end up um, ha asking closed-ended question is time. Um, or if we have individuals who aren't very linear, we want to get to get to the bottom of something, and that's okay to do. You just want to try to start as much as you can with open-ended questions and, and try to gear yourself to do that more naturally. And then if you use closed-ended questions, that's okay too. Okay, so the A in OR stands for affirmation. So telling our patients something positive. We're here to help them. 
but I feel like a lot of the time we spend time on the problems. What's wrong? What needs to change? So taking some time to think about when was the last time you said, I appreciate your willingness to meet today. You're clearly a resourceful person. You handled yourself really well in that situation, or that's a good suggestion. If I were in your shoes, I love this one. I don't know if I could have managed as well. When did you talk about yourself? Um, or I've enjoyed talking with you today. Any ideas of what might get in the way with us of saying these kinds of things, of affirming our patients? We, we, we don't feel like we're being sincere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't feel like you're being sincere. Key with affirmations and actually with all of ours is being genuine. If you're not, you might as well just not say it. You're better off not saying anything at all than saying something disingenuous. But you do have to get creative sometimes to so think about how you can come up with these things. So see if any of these will match and see if you can incorporate any of them a little bit more in your day-to-day -day practice. Maybe making it a habit when you greet somebody. Um, I find that it's easy for me to start with that and end with that, but much harder for me to bring it in the middle of conversation because I have things I want to do. I have topics I want to get to. Um, and so what I started doing for that was put a post-it in the middle of my agenda of like, affirm. It was, you know, forceful. <laughs> and at the same time, I was coming up with the affirmations on my own. And then as I've done that, I use affirmations a lot with transitions before I transition to something else. So now it's much more incorporated. Um, it, especially if you have someone who's tangential, you can say like, I'm really hearing a lot of important stuff. You have a lot to offer. Let me ask you about this. Affirming, still getting to where you want to go. And then the or in uh, the course field is reflections and validations. This is where we're going to practice a lot of this stuff. Um, and so I have some basic reflections and validations are just saying back what it is that they're telling you. Um, getting deeper and doing more complex reflections and validations is much more challenging. And it's really challenging with psychosis, which is very fun. How do you validate something that's just totally out there, um, that you cannot find that kernel of truth that you're trying to look for? And so we'll do some role plays with that. Um, and you, so you want to be careful, especially with psychosis. Uh, validate how they're feeling. Validate that they're having that thought. Um, validate maybe what's going on by being careful not to validate something if it's not true. Okay. I'll give you some examples of this. Um, the classic one is you go into the room and the um, patient is like, oh, I, I can't talk. I just need to get rid of all these rats. All the rats are all over here. I need to get rid of all of them. And so you can have the urge maybe to be like, oh, don't worry. I have some rat poison. And grab your rat poison, spray the rat poison. Like, hey, here, they're all gone. Okay, it's validating in the sense that you're validating that there are rats there. Um, so you're really colluding. What's the issue with that? Um, so if you in the moment agree with, play along with their um, thoughts, then you might be inadvertently reinforcing it. I promise you that in the moment, it feels great when you do collude because it's over. You know, the rats are gone, you can get to what we want to, but in the long term, you're really harming this patient because you're reinforcing their beliefs that aren't true. Um, and so you, it doesn't mean that you need to ignore it. In fact, you want to engage with it, but engage with it in a slightly way that you're, in a slightly different way where you're not colluding. 
Um, another example of collusion, which I really like, is uh, the individual who thinks that they're the president of the United States. Um, they come into my office, and all I want to do is be like, hey, Mr. President, like, let me brief you on what you need to do today. <laughs> because then they just fall in line. You know, I'm with them. We have this rapport. It's great. Um, the issue, again, being that, unfortunately, I'm colluding with them. I'm um, validating that they are the president, and it'll make it harder in the future for them to let go of that belief. You might ask, like, oh, okay, like, um, what, when, when did you campaign about that? If I'm trying to challenge it, I'm asking, okay, so when, what did the campaign look like? What are you the president of? When did you start having the thought that you're the president? And you'll notice in the question, like, when did you start having the thought that you're the president? I'm introducing this idea that it's a thought without saying, you're not the president. Then who's Trump? And who's on the team? OK, so complex reflections um, and validations. This one is an easy one. The um, exposures, the practice gets a little bit harder as we go. Um, but it's easier to start with the first one. So I, I don't want to stop smoking. What would be a simple reflection or validation here? And the most basic one would simply be, you don't want to stop smoking. That's as basic as it gets. Another medium one could be like, seems like people are telling you to stop smoking. You're also making an inference here. Um, and you're also saying like people, kind of not you necessarily, but just getting the idea going that some people don't think you should be smoking. And this is a really complex one. Uh, sounds like you're planning on smoking your whole life. Okay, um, this one gets a little bit more challenging. Everyone's trying to get me to take medication. They're always on my back. I know what I need to do. What would be a simple reflection or validation here? Sounds like, and the thing on top of that. And then I heard a more moderate, more medium level. Can you say that? You know what's best for you. Yeah, um, you know what's best for you. I would actually make it a little bit more, you, you feel like you know what's best for you. Um, so you're not colluding with them, especially if they don't know what's best for them in that situation. So you're thinking that you know what's best for you, you feel like you know what's best for you, or you want to do what you want to do. That's another good reflection validation. Um, here's a, more a deeper one. It must be annoying to have everyone telling you what to do. Um, what's going on when you're thinking of taking your medication? So we have one reflection, it's uh, one validation, which is the first one. It's a deeper level of validation. Why? You're identifying some emotions for them. Um, and then there's also an assessment question there, which you can leave off if you don't want to and just leave with, must be annoying. And then listen to what they have to say. They'll probably say, yeah, it's really annoying. And here you are, you just built a connection with them. You might be in there because you do want to help them take their medication, but suddenly you're on their team about it. You're on their team trying to figure out how to handle the situation. And that might include taking their medication, but now you're on their side. Okay, so, oh, this is my favorite one, which is really hard to find a validation in. They're harvesting my body piece by piece. Everybody knows it. You know it. I know it. What can you say? You must be feeling out of control. Sounds like your body's in pain. Must be painful. Um, I can't imagine how scary it must be to think that your body is being harvested. Okay, so how scary it must be, it might help then to get them to the next level of you must be feeling scared, or that must be very scary. So you might drop these things, and that actually is a helpful way. You know, we assess a lot in terms of questions. We want to know more, so we ask questions. Sometimes giving a reflection or validation like that is an assessment, because now you know 
that they're really firm on this belief. When you're trying to figure out how much wiggle room you have or what's going on with them, because we do have individuals who are much more aware of, of who are going in and out or who have much more flexibility, and this is giving you some of that information. And that would be a good time to drop and validate. Just a genuine, straightforward validation. Thanks for that. And then the last um, acronym in ORS, or the last letter in the acronym of ORS is providing summaries. Summaries are just a version of reflection. Um, you have some examples here. Check in with yourself, for those of you who do use MI. When was the last time you said, let me see if I understand so far? I really like this one, because it also shows that you're thinking about things. Like we want them to start thinking about things themselves. We want to show that we're thinking also. So let me see if I understand it, or let me see if I'm getting the right picture. Let me, let me try to understand what's going on. Um, if you do MI check-in with yourself, when was the last time you said, here's what I've heard, um, let me know if I've missed anything. It's really collaborative, hearing from them. Um, oh, and the seems like on one hand there's X, and on the other hand there's Y is a great summary, especially when a patient's not moving. So I had an individual who is court-mandated to go to anger management class, PTSD class, and really does not want to go to these classes, doesn't like the teaching style, wants to have a place where they can just vent, keep saying, I just want to be able to vent, I just want to be able to vent, I don't want to go to these classes. Um, and so I just said, like, seems like there's a dilemma here. You're really looking to have a place where you can vent, like maybe a support group, and at the same time, it seems like you're court mandated to go to these classes. And they're like, yeah, you're right, I really would like a support group. Okay, and so we kind of move from there. But had I said, um, seems like you, there's a dilemma, you are looking for a support group, which is a deeper level validation, because I'm giving them some information they didn't have already, which what they're looking for is a support group. Um, but also, um, if I had said, and you have to go to anger management and PTSD class, then I'm putting in what they need to do. I'm not simply summarizing the situation. And the person actually, I was so surprised as we kept going, came up with the idea to start going to support groups and still go to their um, classes that they are court mandated for. And I really can say I did not think that was going to be the conclusion of that conversation. I thought that there was no way they were going to comply. Um, and I was really surprised that that was their goal. This was just two days ago. So I don't know if they're actually going to follow through with it or not. But they said it. so. Uh, okay, so let's do another practice. Um, I'm having an awful day. Someone stole my things. And so now you can put all the ors together. You can give open-ended questions. You can do affirmations, reflections, summaries, validations, whatever it is um, that you want. But I'm having an awful day. Someone stole my things, and I think I know who it is. I need to get it back. I have nothing right now. What could you say there? Sounds like a bad day. Yeah, sounds like a bad day. Maybe I would actually prefer to mirror their awful day rather than bad. Bad might be minimizing in this example, so sounds like an awful day. Yeah. It's the most basic level. And at the same time, it's not. The most basic actually would have been saying, sounds like you're having an awful day, someone stole your things, you know who it is, and you need to get it back, and you have nothing right now. Okay? So it sounds like you have an awful day is actually really useful because you're um, taking away from, I need, 
I have not, I need to get it back or, or I need to do something about it, bringing it back to what's going on. And then you could even say like, oh my God, you must be feeling so, or are you, or what's your feeling? Oh, questions. I'm always in the question mode. Okay. <laughs> Any other ideas of other things that you can say here? Seems like, yeah. like you're feeling angry right now. Yeah. It's yeah. not a question. <laughs> I, or, I imagine you're angry right now. I would imagine you'd be super angry. Okay, let's see what I came up with. Oh, super simple. How violent. Um, also, some of, the, <laughs> some, of the val some of the validations I wrote here and reflections, they don't need to be um, complex every single time. I think it's important to highlight that because um, especially after I get trainings and I'm like, ah, I'm going to do all of these things. And then I get in the room and I'm actually not listening as much because I'm trying to do my, val my complex validation. And so sometimes, it's, and often, it's better to be present with them, give a reflection or validation that's simpler, but as long as that means that you're actually more connected with them. And you can instead give them some of that extra connection by the tone of voice that you're using when you're saying that, your eye contact, your language, and you might give a little bit more connection in that way. Um, did you hear that? They're broadcasting my thoughts again. No, oh no, I'm losing it. If I have another breakdown, I'm going to lose my job. Where am I going to live? What am I going to be taken in? If I get taken in again, it's just going to be the same process. They're going to get, put me in that room again. I don't want to go in. And they just like, keep going. So what can you do here? That sounds so overwhelming. The second one, too, like, whoa, 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 your one thought just turned into so much more stuff. That must be so overwhelming. Even that's really great. That's another thing you can do here. That sounds chaotic. Yeah. You've been through a lot. Sounds like they've been down that rabbit hole before. Or that spiraling. They can, you can tell they're spiraling. Key here also is you're allowed to interrupt. So you see the dot, dot, dot? Um, sometimes people think that being validate, like motivational interviewing, letting the patient take the lead, um, validating and reflecting means that letting them just go with what they want to talk about that for that day. And that's definitely not it. Um, so you can interrupt, as long as you're interrupting it with something validating or reflecting, it's not going to be perceived as annoying, although sometimes they do find it annoying anyway, and that you have to kind of figure out. Um, oh, this is a bad validation. <laughs> if you need to calm down, freaking out is just going to make it worse. But it is true in the sense that what you're seeing here is that they're spiraling. They're having the, the first realization that they're hearing something, and somebody that has an idea that there is um, that it's probably not real, and so they're spiraling down. Yeah. yeah I, was, I was initially going to say, sounds like you're feeling anxious about how you're feeling. Yeah, sounds like you're feeling anxious about having heard a thought, heard that. And that's a really complex one. You have an emotion, you're also bringing it back to the original statement. Very nice. So it must be so scary hearing voices and not understand where they're coming from. Um, Let's talk about what they're saying. We'll talk more about, um, let's talk about what they're saying or what they sound like or really engaging with voices. A lot of um, people believe that it's not a good idea to engage it because once they start to pay attention to the voices or listen to them or talk about it, you're actually going to make things worse. What we find is quite the opposite. When we um, in try to figure out what they're saying, what the voices are saying or what they sound like, we can actually help um, the patients uh, cope with it better, as well as the fact that it's much more um, validating that you're okay to talk about it. It's not this scary thing that we're not going to address. It's something that's happening and that it's okay to talk about. 
Okay, um, I think it might be a good time. Is it break time now? Okay. Like a few more minutes? Yeah. Okay. So we'll do two more practices and then we'll break and try to do something a little bit different. Um, I don't know what to do anymore. Everything is just whirling around in my brain. I'm tired of my life. I have a million people telling me different things. I need to take medication. I need to stop drinking. I just don't know where to start. Um, so here's just a, a validation. And you got a lot on your plate. That was some people were saying similar things like seems like there's a lot of chaos going on. There's a lot going on. You've handled a lot of things. Um, where do you think you'd like to start? So putting it on them. And then they might push back with, I don't know. That's what I just said. What do I do? So how might you handle this? What's the most troubling for you? Hmm. Okay, so asking back a question to them. What's the most troubling for you? Bouncing it back to them. So they might answer, you'll be done. Or they might say, no, I don't want to talk about what's the most troubling. I want you, I want you to tell me. And then what could you do? I wish I had all the answers. I really wish I could take this away. Um, I have a really long answer here. Um, but I have some ideas, um, but I don't know if it would be helpful to be one extra person telling you what to do. So in that, you're also kind of validating that there are a lot of people telling you what to do, and it must be annoying. Um, I don't want to be another one of them. Um, it's nice that you're here because this is your time, so there's some affirmation in there, and why don't you take a minute to think of what sounds good to you. And then I might get pushed back again, and then I'll try something that y'all threw out, or we'll try some of those, and we'll end up here. Doesn't matter. The idea is just really um, try to throw in some affirmations, trying to throw in as much as you can to feel connected with them. Okay, this is the last practice before your break. So the voices, this actually happened. Um, and the bad answer I'm going to give you actually was said, and it didn't work. Um, so the voices <laughs> are always steering me wrong. Everything I've done, the stealing, going to prison, and the person just kind of was going on and on. And so um, this was something that somebody uh, was part of a team meeting, and somebody said this actually. It seems like they've steered you right this time. You're here getting help now, which is great. It's very well intentioned. What's the issue with this? Yeah. You're colluding that with the voices. There's also something else here. You're disagreeing, you're invalidating them. You're disagreeing with what they're saying. And you're also colluding, which is like, yeah, you should listen to them, because sometimes they are right. <laughs> um, and the uh, patient's answer to this was just they really didn't feel they're like no you don't the answer was that I write it here yeah you don't get it you don't understand that's literally um, it's not verbatim but that's basically they're like you, you're not get like it's just always happening they're always telling me the wrong thing it's so and they didn't say it's so exhausting but I think that's where the reflection ended up being so what can you say here instead of that same sentiment because the sentiment is nice Seems like you're feeling out of control. Mm. You must be bad at these voices. Hearing voices must add a whole extra challenge to life. And then engage with them. What do they sound? It really does. I mean, it adds a whole extra layer of stuff. It really is very challenging. And what do they sound like? And actually, if I want to keep the sentiment of the first person who was like, it's great that you're here, you might even say, it must add a whole extra challenge to your life. Um, it must, yeah. Everything I've done is feeling good. 
Okay, I'll leave that as is, especially since we're right before a break. So um, I invite you to take a break. Um, so as we move through the practices, I gave the, some examples that um, I thought would be useful, but I did ask if anybody has any examples of times where they were stuck, times where they didn't know what to say, or also times where you did know what to say, but you think it would be useful for the rest of us in this room to hear about what that process looked like. Um, times when things landed, times when things didn't land. The president one that was brought up earlier. Yes, um, let's role play that. I have a client currently. Um, he doesn't believe he's the president, but he thinks he's in control of the president. Um, and he has all these facts to show how he's in control and made certain changes. Okay. So um, he might say he might be saying, mm -hmm. "I made the call to the president to make that thing happen." Okay. So what can you say there? <clears throat> Sounds like you have a direct access line to the president. Yeah, sounds like you're thinking you have a direct access line. Adding the thinking in there. <laughs> what else? Uh, no, wait, what sounds like you're thinking you have a direct access. Yeah, what else? You must be feeling really powerful when you're reflecting on, um, when you're thinking about that. So if you're in the back and you didn't hear that, he's saying maybe you can help him realize that he does have some power in this world when we're making voting, when we're voting or doing things like that. So finding the kernel, what you did is finding the kernel of truth in there mm -hmm. and really validating that kernel of truth. That's a beautiful validation. When you're feeling like you don't like something that the individuals are saying, I find it to be very useful for me to in terms of assessment, not what they're going to do currently, but where this is coming from, if I then learn that they, and it often is the case, their childhood was like X or their relationship was like Z, I can then be less angry with them in the room because I have more of an understanding of why they are thinking this, why they are so against the world. When I know, oh my God, those things happened to this person. Like, sometimes I think, no wonder. I don't, I, I don't know if I wouldn't be against the world if that happened to me. And so that might be useful just to get, get that more connection with him about where he's coming from so that you are feeling more connected. Yeah, what you're saying is when you're disconnected, it's really hard to validate. Okay, um, so let's do another uh, practice, one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Um, so with the person next to you, it could be the same person or a different person. Um, this time I want you to think about something that you want to make a change. Okay, everyone is reading. Um, <laughs> think about something that um, you either want to make a change about, but you haven't. Um, something that somebody else has told you you should change, but you're kind of ambivalent about. Something that's real to you. I find that you're okay sharing in a professional setting. I find people often talk about um, exercise and eating better, those are the things that we all feel like we should be working on at all times. I don't know, maybe I'm making a lot of assumptions here. Um, but I think that you've kind of been wanting to do, I think someone once said about bringing water to work because they weren't doing that. So it could be basic, it could be something deeper if you're willing to share, that's wonderful. Um, and so I want to have one person kind of sharing something that they want to change, just bringing up what the topic is. And then I want the other person to um, respond by trying to persuade them. So this is not MI, but trying to tell them why they should make that change, specifically giving three pieces at least of evidence of why it would be good if they did that, um, and then telling them how to do it. Um, you are all competent people. I'm sure you can think of a good plan. 
Um, and then at the end of it, I want you to end it by emphasizing how important it is that they do that because if they don't, then the con this consequence will happen. Um, and so if you've gone through all four, I want you to stop there and just ask them whether that's a good plan. And let's see how that goes. So first question, um, raise your hand if everything that the person said was accurate, the reasons they gave were accurate. Raise your hand. Okay. Raise your hand if the reasons that the person gave for you to make the change, um, the reasons it would be good for you to do that were accurate reasons for doing it. Okay. And raise your hand if the ideas that they gave for implement it were actually a pretty good plan. Um, it was well thought out. Okay. Okay. So actually most people in this persuasion tactic found that the information was accurate, um, mostly, and was a pretty good plan. And now, raise your hand if you're actually going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, a few people are going to try it out. The stuff that we're saying when we're trying to give advice, we're clinicians, we are here to help, we've helped people, and, and our information is probably going to be good. If people followed it, they probably would get better. And so it feels really great to give them that. Because then you say at the end of the workday, oh, I gave them this gift. It was full of great stuff that's worked in the past. I know if they do it, it'll work. And it makes us feel really great about ourselves. But what it sucks then is that we've just left them their gift and they're not really going to open it. The other way of doing this would be um, to try to practice MI motivational interviewing instead. So um, asking them to choose the topic, and once they have, asking them why they chose the topic. What is, what is it about this that they want to change? Asking them what some reasons for it are. Asking them what some reasons against it are. Reflecting that. Um, asking them how their life would look different if they made that change. How would it look different if they didn't make that change? Um, and then asking them where they might start. Um, when you're, well you can then summarize. Um, and then ask them what they actually want to do. Here's a guideline. This is where you want to go. What I usually find when people do this is that the conclusion of what they're going to do is actually not as good as the conclusion of the, the other plan. Like if we objectively had to rate plans, plan number one is usually better than the MI plan. And at the same time, the MI plan is actually the one that people might do. And it, it probably goes together. They're usually smaller. They're usually simpler. And that's where we want to get the change. Small, simple, let's start there. Um, but it just feels bad because we're not sometimes getting all of the stuff that we want to. So these are just four open-ended questions that you can use. Okay. So let's move to some of the cognitive work. How to challenge the thoughts without actually colluding with them. And everybody knows the CDT cycle, so I'm not going to go into it, but just really here we're focusing on the thought portion of the cycle. And in CDT, the engage in uh, cognitive therapy, the engagement component is the first piece. The engagement component, you want to spend a lot of time at first doing. If you're going to challenge someone's thoughts, you better be have that rapport solid. Don't even bother trying to challenge someone's thought. If you don't know this person, you don't know where their beliefs come from, you don't know how strong their beliefs are, you don't know anything about them, it's not going to land. You're just going to become the opposing force. You're just going to be one other person in their life telling them that they're crazy. Um, and so you have different phases. So you want to start with um, that building of the trust, especially if you're working with um, schizophrenia. I highly recommend having some neutral topics that you've identified at first that you can engage them in and bring things back to. 
Uh, without that neutral conversation, it can be hard when you get into sticky situations. Um, so it's nice to set down that foundation. And then when you're doing with the, when you're starting out with the assessment, you don't need to start with an assessment of their symptoms. Just start with a, how are you doing? And if they're avoiding talking about their um, psychosis or their voices and stuff because they feel shamed or they have had bad reactions, fine. Let them start where they want to start. Take that time to build connection, and then you can bring it up once you have a little bit more of a rapport. When you do bring it up, you have a bunch of questions here that can be helpful to understanding their symptoms. As you understand their symptoms, this is going to help them understand their symptoms. Voices, images, these things, the hallucinations, these things can be really scary. So if you can understand, especially when you don't understand why they're happening, you can understand that you're actually helping here for them what they understand. So what are the beliefs? What prompts them? I mentioned this before, what do the voices sound like? Nobody ever asks that question. Or, or not often do people ask them. Now someone's like, oh, I'm hearing voices. And I'm like, oh, what does it sound like? They're just like, oh, okay. You asking is engaging. You're engaging on this topic that so many people don't want to engage them with. Sometimes also the voices aren't very bothersome, which um, people don't necessarily think that because they are often coming in for services when things are bothersome. Um, so also just kind of recognizing that, knowing that for yourself. Um, asking if symptoms increase when they're feeling stressed or during certain times, super useful because then you're also showing a connection for them that what they're feeling changes the voices. It changes their beliefs about being the um, controlling the president, how their feeling is changing that. And so then when you're going to get to the challenging part, you've already started to discuss the fact that Huh, when you're feeling a certain way, you're having this thought be stronger. So you're connecting it more to an inner experience rather than actually in the physical world being able to control them. And then um, the impact of the symptoms on their life, um, so that you can just start to help them realize that even if they believe that it's true, maybe it's not helpful to engage with it, or maybe it's not helpful to engage with it in the way that they are. Uh, understanding their life as context, um, this is gonna help you connect. Um, help you have that foundation of when you're like, oh, why are they saying this? And then it'll remind, you'll remind yourself of why that's happening. Um, there's an example actually in the cognitive therapy book of a woman who comes into the clinic. She has um, a lot heavy mascara on, pink eyes, um, loss of hair, scantily dressed, and um, everyone's just looking at her like, who is this with judgment? Um, and as they get to work with her, they find out that she was um, being uh, prostituted by her brother, that people were paying him to have sex with her, um, and that he was saying things to her like, you need to look better, you need to dress nicer, um, you're a dirty whore. And so she was showering a lot in order to um, be clean, and that's what caused the hair loss, putting layers and layers of mascara that were leading to infections in the eye dressing more scantily clad because of that. And being able to understand that her brother was saying these kinds of things or those things were happening, understanding her life in that context can be really helpful then to say, oh, it sounds like the voices say kind of similar stuff to what your brother was telling you. You're not saying yet that that might be internalized. You're just planting that seed. But you can't do it if you don't understand their life and their context. 
Um, so after assessment, you want to build your formulation, your understanding of this person. This is your case conceptualization. Specifically, you're really looking out for um, causes, things that have led to this, so maybe that experience with her brother, um, as well as maintenance factors. So what's keeping the symptoms alive? Um, and what's keeping the thoughts in this cognitive work? As you move to psychoeducation, you can give them the kind of model that our thoughts are related to our emotions and our um, behaviors. Um, and we can start to normalize the causes of the symptoms when we're giving psychoeducation. Sometimes giving somebody a diagnosis is actually helpful in normalizing it, because you can say, it sounds like you have this, a lot of people have this, and it can be normalizing. Sometimes it's not normalizing. So this one, you really got to know your audience. If you feel like it's not normalizing, the label is actually harmful to them, what you can totally do is say, sounds like the symptom is distressing. That's what a psychological disorder is. It's a cluster of symptoms that are distressing. And so you can normalize that they're having these symptoms or that these symptoms are bothersome um, as you're making your psychoeducation. CBT really works on lowering the symptoms. Um, acceptance and commitment therapy works on improving quality of life. Um, I think dialectical behavioral therapy tries to do both. But I do have to say that as we've, the field has moved, there's more and more emphasis put on reducing symptoms in order to improve quality of life or just taking, we'll take whatever we can get. Let's recognize, at least, yeah. at least let's recognize the symptoms. Yeah, let's recognize the symptoms. Okay, so doing cognitive work. When you're restructuring a thought, this is not changing someone's mind. This is not the role play that we did where you're here to tell them what's wrong with what they're doing. You want to guide them in the discovery, like detective, together, non-judgmentally gathering the evidence, um, eliciting alternative ones. And if you're getting too much resistance, this is when you might um, wrap it up, where you might summarize it, like this seems like this is what's happening. Um, now let's talk about this other thing. Be careful because if someone's getting irritated and you just move to the next topic, the easy topic you have as your backup, then you are colluding with the avoidance. You're telling them, oh, you're getting too high, I can't deal with that. But by summarizing it, at the very least, you're giving like a conclusion to that. You're continuing to talk about that, ending it, and then bringing it up. So sometimes it's okay to disagree when you're trying to challenge thoughts. You don't need to get people to go from 100 belief in their belief to zero. You can go to 100 to 99% belief in their thoughts. That's good enough for the day. Okay, so there's an easy example, well, easy compared to um, serious mental illness. So I don't spend time with anyone. I don't really do much. Nobody likes me. I'm such a loser. You can see here places that you can start to challenge. Well, is it really anyone? Um, nobody at all? Are you really, is that, uh, is that what defines a loser? Is that what you're thinking? And maybe you can work on kind of those key areas. But let's get to um, the, the more fun stuff, the hard stuff. Okay, so this is actually a qualitative study. So this is actual responses by psychiatrists. And the psychiatrist says, so they wanted to kill you and sell your organs. The client answers yes and sell the meat to restaurants where cannibals go. Um, the psychiatrist says, are there restaurants for cannibals? So some, I guess, assessment. Um, the client says, yes, these are, there are, these are secrets that the police do not know. And then the psychiatrist tried to confront. Um, really, this seems to be a bit difficult to believe, honestly. I have some faces of people going like, ooh. It doesn't go, the rest of the script doesn't go anywhere, okay? You're just confronting 
And people have done that before. If it was going to go away with just confronting it, it would have gone away by, that, by now. So that's not what's going to work. Um, here's another example of just confronting your parents. What do you, your parents say, for example? Um, they say that it's not true. And then the psychiatrist goes on their high horse. Okay, they say that it's not true. The fact that they say that it's not true, does that make you think it's possible it's not true? That's perhaps rather you, your perception. <coughs> Maybe you're perceiving that there's worms in your body. And then the client's answer is, I am decomposing. <laughs> um, so really, it doesn't land. It's just a confrontation. I don't see any validation. I don't see any reflection. I don't see any um, common ground. So um, I would have liked to elicit this from you, but I'll just give you um, some options of things that you can do if this came up. Um, how do you feel when you think this? Starting to get them in touch with their feelings. At least they can see that maybe the thoughts, the, the, the belief is not helpful. You're not challenging whether the belief is true, but you're challenging that the belief makes them feel a certain way. It's not a helpful belief to have, and then you can challenge that. Um, trying to assess when was the first time that you had this thought. If something happened, they might start to see, oh, that thing happened, and then suddenly I started thinking this way, making a connection to their own life. Um, maybe they were really stressed then. Um, where are you or what are you usually doing when you're having the thought? So the thoughts coming in more when they're doing something. Again, you're linking it to their own life. You're kind of helping them to internalize that, these, that this belief is coming more when they're feeling a certain way. So it might be more linked to them, what's going on internally. Okay, and for this one, so selling your organs. Um, oh, sorry, for this one, what do your parents say? They say that it's not true, and then the psychiatrist went on the high horse. Another option is, what might be some reasons why they say it's not true? Let them give you the reasons why they say it's not true. And then you can also ask them, why might there be, what are your reasons for feeling like it is true? You're being neutral here. You're just gathering information. Whatever they say, non-judgmental response. You're just trying to understand. I think we're out of time. Thank you so, so, so much. This talk would be very different without y'all. So thank you. I really genuinely appreciate it. And good luck. It's a hard population. It's a real, real challenge. So props to you for doing this day in and day out.